my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully, you guys are having a great week. Hopefully, you had a great uh, New Year's and, uh, you know, weren't too hungover yesterday. Um, you know, a, a moderate level of being hungover is, is appropriate, obviously, on uh, on, uh, on New Year's Day. But, uh, you know, hopefully, you guys all made it out alive and healthy with livers intact. Um, yeah, big show today. I had my good friend Eric Schaefer from Lone Conservative on. We, we got into a lot of stuff. We kind of predicted some... 2019 stuff. We talked about what the Democrats are going to be doing uh, in this upcoming year. And we uh, actually, we ended up on like a 30 minute conversation about economics. So that was a lot of fun. <laughs> it was, it was a good talk. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, before I get to Eric, I want to say hi to my friends over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit, or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. Uh, it is great stuff. Absolutely great stuff. They have any kind of battery, mod, tank, coil, anything you need for your vape setup, uh, they have. Guys, it's it's 2019. It's time to quit smoking. If that is in your New Year's resolution, you need to check out Premier Vapor. Um, check them out at premiervaporandlounge.com. That is premiervaporandlounge.com. They'll give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. And if you are in Northwest Ohio, they have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. Definitely check them out in person uh, if you're in the area or if you're driving through the area. And if not, once again, Premier Vapor and Lounge dot com check them out please follow us on twitter at no gimmicks pod and if you haven't already please subscribe on itunes soundcloud or google play if you're on itunes please give us a five-star rating and a good review i'd really appreciate that all right without further ado here's my chat with eric schaefer All right, guys, I'm here with my friend eric schaefer from lone conservative host of the lone conservative podcast eric Thanks for coming on, brother. Thanks for having me again, Brady. I think this is my third appearance on the show, right? Uh, yeah, at least. Awesome. At least you're uh, you're earning uh, frequent flyer miles, I think, at this point. But uh, <laughs> yeah, man, it's always a good time talking to you. Um, yeah, like uh, we were talking before I hit record, and uh, neither one of us have really been following like the day-to-day news cycle um, for the last couple weeks. <laughs> so we're not going to do... Uh, you know, news of the day kind of punditry or anything like that. We're going to talk some big picture stuff. And, uh, you know, I had a lot of fun on, on the last episode on Monday. We did our uh, year end award show where we gave out a, a bunch of awards in the in the world of politics and kind of looked back. And uh, we, we can do a little bit of looking back at 2018. But uh, it is the first podcast of 2019. So I want to kind of look forward to, uh, uh, you know, the year ahead and kind of what we're expecting, make a few predictions, that kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, before we get to that, um, you know, it was a big year for, for this show in 2018. You know, we, we basically doubled the size of our audience in the last year, and I did uh, 102 episodes out of a possible 104, so I've been pretty damn consistent. And you launched your new show last year as well, and that's been going great. So, uh, yeah, man, just 2018 in general. Uh, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on the year? I loved it. I, I, like, every, I think every single year you see people... Like- like on social media, on Facebook, on Twitter, saying, oh, can't 2018, can't 2017, can't 2016 just be over yet? And everyone has so much hope going into the next year. Everyone has so much hope going into 2019, and I just personally can't wait to see that hope demolished. 
and <laughs> pe- people worn down <laughs> by yet another crazy political cycle. But uh, despite the craziness in 2018, I think overall the Trump administration has done a good job. I'm less than satisfied with them, with their fiscal policy. I, I think that if you look at it from an economic perspective, we can't have this rate of low taxation combined with this rate of spending forever. I think that's going what that along with the possible trade wars is going to be the downfall of this administration if they don't correct their course. But overall, for right now, it's it's looking good. Um, the other thing that I the really the only other thing that I wasn't satisfied with the administration with other than the tariffs, like when I talk about fiscal policy, the only other policy that really comes to mind, I guess, because it's recent, because so many things have happened and my mind is just flooded with so many events is uh, the Syria pullout. I'm not someone who's a neocon or, you know, a hawk. I'm kind of in the middle. And I, I, I don't correspond or respond to the arguments that if we pull out of the region, Iran's going to more easily be able to establish a hegemon. You know, Putin's going to take over Syria. He's going to have total control there. Iran, 2,000 troops isn't going to stop Iran. You know, Putin already has won the war of influence in Syria. I don't, I don't think those are the issues. The main issue I take with it is abandoning the Kurds. I, I want to see what the replacement plan is there, because as of right now, it looks like the president's being way too chummy with Turkey. And as a lot of people know, Turkey essentially wants to eradicate the Kurds. And if, if the president's plan is to replace U.S. troops with Turkish troops, <laughs> I'm not very confident about our allies in the region. So those are the really two things that I'm, I'm I don't want to say disillusioned because that's extreme, but those are the really the only two things that I was extremely unsatisfied with in 2018. Obviously, a lot of the president's rhetoric, too, that he says on Twitter, but policy wise, the president was very good throughout 2018. I think a lot better than most people were going to give him credit for, including myself. So it was a good year. I liked it. It was fun politically. Each week, each news week felt like a year itself. So I'm hoping that's going to continue because it's fun. Yeah, I think we're still on uh, infrastructure week from like May, uh, if I'm not not (laughs) mistaken. It's been a very long infrastructure week. Um, Yeah, I I agree that it was a pretty decent year for the Trump administration. I, uh, you know, I kind of differ from you a little bit on the serious stuff. I'm for no other reason than uh, we're there illegally. I mean, we have (laughs) Congress did not authorize the executive branch to put any troops in in Syria. Obama just did it um, via executive order. So, um, and it's very strange seeing senators. Um, on, on, you know, for both parties coming out, oh, Trump can't do this. Why would Trump do this? Guys, you're senators. <laughs> you're senators. The United no, exactly. States Senate declares war. Vote. Just vote. If you want to protect the Kurds, and I think we should protect the Kurds, just vote. Uh, come at President Trump with a 60-vote majority in the Senate saying, we authorize you to send troops to protect the Kurds. Problem solved. There you go. But they're not going to do that because they're a bunch of mm-hmm. bitches that don't actually want to do their job, and they've abdicated that responsibility a long time ago. But uh, with the, with the troop reduction in the Middle East, I was way more excited about what he said regarding Afghanistan than Syria, because any case you can make to leave troops in Syria, you cannot make that case in Afghanistan. Um, Afghanistan is yeah an unwinnable war. I mean, everybody has learned that going back to the time of Genghis Khan. I mean, Genghis Khan couldn't hold Afghanistan. The, the Ottomans couldn't hold Afghanistan. The Romans couldn't. The Soviets couldn't. It just geographically and, and 
politically, it, it's not a winnable war. There's absolutely no reason to be there. We were there to kill Osama bin Laden, and we did that, you know, in 2012. Um, he, Trump is talking about reducing our troop presence in Afghanistan by 50 percent. I think that is wonderful. Um, I think we should just get out of Afghanistan entirely because there's just absolutely nothing. The Taliban is just going to wait us out. You know what I mean? They're just going to hide in their caves, hide in their you know positions of power. You have to remember half the Afghani government is run by the Taliban. Um, they've infiltrated like every level of Afghani society, and they're just going to wait us out. They're going to wait till we run out of money and run out of the will to fight and stuff like that. So I'm more excited about the Afghanistan drawdown than Syria, but you know, I guess we're splitting hairs a little bit. But uh, let's let's see. Uh, oh gosh, before we jump into 2019, I do have to mention a hilarious, a hilarious story in the Washington Post this morning. And obviously, we are in. Uh, how many days has the government been shut down? I haven't really been paying 12. attention. Twelve. Ah, the twelve days of Christmas. Um, <laughs> and see, it doesn't. Nobody really cares that the government shut down and. You know, we can get to that in a second. We can give our predictions on how long this is going to last. But uh, I just have to read a headline from the Washington Post before we jump into our 2019 punditry. It said, the national parks have become the Wild West during the government shutdown. There's many visitors, very few overseers. <laughs> so it's like, I, I know the people at the Washington Post are a bunch of statists, um, but they literally use the word overseers as if, to take a walk in the woods, we need our government overlords watching over our shoulders. Just the lack of self-awareness here from the Washington Post is pretty hilarious. No, and the Obama administration, I believe in 2013, the Obama administration shut down the government from October 1st to October 17th. So we're not even in a shutdown as long as the Obama administration was. But if, if I can kind of read this, from it's from the nationalresources.house.gov. And it kind of it was I think it was published around 2013, and it basically described what the Obama administration did. And it's just the start. You can see it's the stark difference between the Obama administration and the Trump administration when it's coming to the shutdown. It says, "quote For example, open air parks and national monuments, places with outdoors or gates where people are allowed to visit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, have been barricaded off. In addition, none of these DC memorials were closed during the last government shutdown in 1995 to 1990." Under the Clinton administration, the Obama administration's closing of these sites is not something they are required to do. It's something they are choosing to do. So basically, the the national parks during the government shutdown in the Obama era, and I don't want to say Obama was solely responsible for it. It was it was a whole government. You no, know, you know what I mean. It was it was a whole government thing. But it, it it was very clear that Obama tried to use intimidation and scare tactics, such as closing down these national parks, such as blocking off these open air national monuments from right. people to try and make Americans turn against the Republican Senate sooner rather than later. I, I, I have different opinions on this strategy because it's obvious that it worked. It, it really is because I think Ben Shapiro brings up the amazing point that more often than not, Americans don't like to see the status quo changed. So uh, people showed, for example, stark resistance when Obamacare was first being put into place. Now that Obamacare is in place and Republicans have been saying that they want to change it back, Americans have been showing stark resistance to changing that status quo. Right, so it's right. very clear that if you want to change the status quo, you do have to take extreme measures. And I, I, you know, I, I think it's slimy that Obama did what he did, but it was also politically genius. And you see that this uh, the, 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 the different approach 
from the media to Trump shut down. Trump's still letting people, obviously from their own wording, Trump's still letting people in these national parks. Trump's still letting people, it, it seems like, visit these open air monuments. It's just there's really no officials there that, that are doing the usual upkeep, obviously. So it, unlike Obama, who shut everything down, Trump's still letting people visit and people are giving Trump a harder time. It's, I, I, I think it does just show the bias from the media. I know that's like just a common phrase at this point, but I think it does show show the bias from the media. And it's 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 rather despicable. But if Trump wants any sort of success with this wall, if he wants any sort of success with this shutdown, he's going to have to do what he can to make the Democrats seem like the bad guy. And that may that means going past rhetoric and going into sorry, I, I hate to say it, but doing what Obama did, he's going to have to do some of the things that Obama did. Uh, and the media is going to try and turn it around on him. And if he plays it tactfully, which I, I think is possible, then he can he can keep the blame on the Democrats. But at, as of right now, the media and the Democrats have done a really, really good job at placing the blame squarely at President Trump's feet, which is why my personal prediction is that Trump's not going to win this shutdown. I mean, there, I, I thought that even if he was somehow able to pin responsibility, I said this on my podcast, if he was even able to somehow pin responsibility on the Democrats, which is the key move in a sh shutdown situation, you have to pin responsibility on the other side. Even if he was able to pin responsibility on the Democrats, there's still only a 20 to 30 percent chance chance he gets anything for the wall because the Democrats party platform and message at this point, it may not say this, but it's very clear that the thought leaders and the party leaders have made it about this, that the party at this point is about resisting Trump and in particular resisting certain key agendas of the Trump administration, which one of them is this wall. Uh, so I, I think they'd honestly be willing to take the blows from a temporary government shutdown, uh, you know, over giving Trump his wall. So I, I don't know. I don't know how this, I, I, I'm pretty sure how this ends. I think Trump Trump loses, and I think the Democrats get what they want. I think the wall doesn't get funded. If it does get funded, it's a very, very minimal amount. Right. So I, I, I totally know. agree. I totally agree. And I maybe it's maybe it's just because we're used to the gov to the Republicans losing these these shutdown battles. Um, you know, the Republicans have traditionally been extremely squishy on these issues. They get cold feet. They get nervous when the government shut down. You know, but they're like you know puppies that have been beaten, you know, and that's the, how the media has been beating down Republicans for generations. They're so used to getting beaten down by the mainstream media that they just don't have the stomach for these shutdown fights. And I, I think Trump should hold out as long as it takes to get uh, funding for, for, for border security. Because look, man, at the end of the day, the worst thing for the Democrats is if the American people realize how worthless the federal government is. I mean, has anybody noticed that the government shut down? No, because it doesn't matter, and the government's not really shut down. They shut down about like six percent or something of the federal government, and then the employees that aren't getting paid, all that money's furloughed anyway, and they'll they get back pay as soon as the government opens. So it's really not that big of a deal. And the Democrats are the, are the socialists. Like they're the ones that believe that the federal government should run your life. The worst thing for them is that the American public realizes that, wow, we don't actually need the federal government to run our lives. So in, in that spirit, I think that Trump should stand his ground, dig in, and, and wait for the Democrats to cave. I, I don't think he will. I don't know. I'm not too optimistic. You know, I agree with you there. But I, I, I don't know why, historically, Republicans have been so scared of a government shutdown. Like, we're supposed to be the party of small government. The Democrats are the party of big government. They should be shaking in their boots— you know, on the prospect that the people realize that big government isn't necessary. Yeah. And the, the I think the main reason for that is a lot of Republicans and a lot of conservatives give the media less credit than honestly what they deserve. The media controls largely. They, they largely control the perception of a government shutdown. Whose fault 
who's uh, blame it wise at. So basically, who who do you blame for the government shutdown? And obviously, the media mostly, actually always, shifts the blames to the Republican Party, to the conservative party in these types of situations. So I, I think that's honestly one of the reasons why the Republicans cave so much and why the Democrats often have so much wherewithal and so much resistance and so much will in these situations is because they know they have the media on their side. And by having the media staunchly on your side, by, by having the media portray you know, national parks as the Wild West after only 12 days, when they never would have done that in the 17, 16 days of the Obama shutdown, it just it, it shows that you have not only can you tactfully manipulate the public perception of things as a Democrat. But you can also rely on the media to twist Republicans' words out of context, or you can re rely on the media that if, the, if a Republican does say something that is smart and intelligent and true, that they just won't cover it. So it's the media is a huge component. It is a huge component in a government shutdown situation. And one of the dishonest things, by the way, that the media has been doing, you talked about furloughed pay. One of the dishonest things the media and the Democrats have been doing is they've been talking about not just federal employees who will eventually get their pay back. Uh, honestly. The media hasn't been making it exceptionally clear that federal essential employees who are working will get their payback. But the main focus has been on non-essential government employees. So under standard situations, say the Senate doesn't pass any sort of resolution bill or the, the, the Congress doesn't pass any sort of resolution, in, in any other situation, non-essential government employees who are you know sent home don't get their payback. They don't get pay. And they, they won't get it after the government shutdown's over, barring any other extenuating circumstances. And the media has been covering, covering that specifically like crazy about all these non-essential government employees who just aren't going to get paid. They don't even have four load pay to look, look forward to. What the media if, hasn't really covered. I don't know. What if they haven't a, covered. Yeah, sorry to cut yeah. you off, man. I don't know if there's a phrase that chaps my ass worse in the English language than non-essential government employees. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm a small business owner, man. Like, if I, There's no way in hell I would ever have a non-essential employee. It's like the, the office baseline. What would you say— you do here, you know, like we should not, be, the <laughs> taxpayers should not be funding non-essential personnel. It's just absolutely, absolutely. And in, in, it's insane. It's insanity. No, and I totally agree. But one, one of the things the media has been covering and the Republicans haven't even been trying to focus on it. That's the thing. They could easily dismantle a media narrative that's been so prominent if they just focused on it. As I believe it was the Senate passed a bill essentially to give non-essential government employees who were sent home who otherwise wouldn't have gotten paid. Aid, they passed a bill that would make it so they would get four-load pay. They would get the money that they missed out on. So these people are still going to get paid at the end of the day, but the media is not focusing on that. They're just focusing on the non-essential government employees who aren't getting paid right now, and they, they're not focusing on what the Senate has done to make sure these people get paid. And the historical precedent, there is a historical precedent in government shutdowns that the Senate or whoever passes a bill to make sure that non-essential government employees get paid at the end of the shutdown either way. So it's it's not like non-essential government employees never see the pay that they miss out on, but the media is making it seem like that, and they they essentially I, I I said this on my podcast too. It's laughable. They they said this around Christmas. It's laughable that the party in America, not just the Democrats, but the media, the people in America that show so much I should say hatred toward Christian ideals and Christianity in general are going to use the narrative that, oh, you're not paying these people around Christmas time. 
Like you're going to use Christmas time as a club to batter people with when you any other day of the week, you couldn't despise Christians or Christmas more. It's and I, I hate to use that rhetoric, the war on Christmas and everything, but it's it's true. It's it's honestly just been an annoying news cycle. Right. Right. I, uh, let's move on to well, wait, but before we move on from from the government shutdown, you, you basically already answered my next question. Um, but just just for the record. Uh, your prediction, just yes or no, does Trump get his border wall money out of this government shutdown? No. Yeah, I, I agree with <laughs> you. Happening. I agree. I'd put it at about a 7% chance at this point, if that. Maybe I'm being too generous. Um, so, look, obviously we all saw, and it was really Christmas come, you know, 350-something days early uh, on Monday morning when I woke up and the first thing I saw on Twitter was Elizabeth Warren is uh, running for president. But um, so obviously Liz Warren, the execrable leftist senator from Massachusetts, is running for president. Um, that's hilarious. We can get into that. And just today, uh, Jay Inslee uh, said he's running for president. Pop quiz. Eric Schaefer, do you know who Jay Inslee is? Don't Google it. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're a paid political operative, uh, and you don't know who he is, so that's probably a bad sign for uh, Mr. Inslee's uh, 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 White House bid. Uh, he's the governor. No, he's the governor it. of he's the governor of Washington, by the way. <laughs> but um, oh, so, who, who even knows? I I think Washington isn't real. That's my conspiracy yeah, theory right, of the day. Right. Yeah. I mean, it <laughs> might as well not be. But uh, yeah, so he's he's running too. I don't think he has a chance. He's just a white guy from a state that really doesn't matter. So that's I mean, good luck, dude. But um. So give me five polit- five Democrats that you know for certain will be running for president. Outside of these two, obviously. No for certain. Uh, I know Joe Biden for sure is going to run for president. I don't think there's a way he doesn't. Um, well, I mean, let, let's be fair. I mean, I hope Joe Biden has a long, healthy, happy life. But at 80 years old, nothing is certain. But yes, I, 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 I don't know. I, dude. See I mean, I'm. When it comes to really, when it comes down to anyone, I think Joe Biden is honestly one of the most likely people to run. Uh, He's been pining for president for forever. And at this point, 80 years old isn't what it used to be, especially with the health care the president likely gets. So I'm I'm pretty sure he'd want to do it for at least, you know, however long he can do it. Um, Again, I hope he has a long, happy life, too. But I I think he'd honestly, if if he won, I do think he'd get two terms out of it. We'll have to see, though. But I, he would, by the way, be America's oldest president, which I despise Joe Biden, but that would actually be pretty cool. But um, oh, who else? I want to say. I think Harris, I don't know. Harris I absolutely. I think it's runs. all up in the air right now. Kamala Harris has to. She's been running. Kamala Harris. She's been. Cory Booker yeah. has a big enough ego that I think he'll, he'll try and run. He won't make it very far. But yeah, I agree. I think no, but he has a big enough ego that'll try. Right. Who else? Yeah, Kamala, Corey, and Joe are the only three that I can really think of. Do you think Beto runs? No. Really? I think I think people are getting hyped over Beto because he almost won Texas. Good for him. But I I, I really sincerely doubt that he's going to run. If he does, I'll. I mean, I, obviously, this is a very contrarian opinion because I know everyone on the right. And everyone on the left is saying he's going to run. He's going to do it. But I, I really don't think he is. I think he's going to wait another cycle. We'll see. Because honestly, I mean, he's out of office now. You know, he doesn't have anything else to do. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think he uh, I think he'd be crazy not to. Beto seems like a smart guy. And I'd actually disagree that he'd be crazy not to. Beto seem, did you see that there was this Ryan Stelter tweet 
the other day, and it was like a graphic of 30, 30 Democratic candidates who could run. 30. He's like, oh, there's a lot of good Democratic candidates in here. If all, let's say that even 20 of them decide to run, that is such a crowded field. That's going to cause so much division. Beto would be intelligent if he didn't run. He'd be intelligent if he waited for things to die down a little bit and waited for the next presidential cycle when his party's not in power. I honestly, I, I genuinely believe that. I totally, I totally disagree with you, and here's why. It's, it's all about striking when the iron's hot. Like, Elizabeth Warren, if she ran four years ago, actually would have had a chance. But she, you know, mm-hmm. she's friends with the Clintons, didn't want to run against Hillary. But she was much more popular among Democrats in 2016 than she is now. Obviously, that was before President Trump trolled her into making the most ridiculous unforced error in the history of politics, in my opinion, by taking a DNA test, finding yeah. out she's one 1,024th Indian, and then politicizing that, saying, this proves she is an Indian, which was just, it's its beautiful. That's why I awarded her my dumbass of the year for 2018 on the last podcast, <laughs> But um, which is my, my favorite category, by the way. But, um, you know, she would have actually had a chance to get the nomination if she would have ran when she was more popular, when she was more visible, when she hadn't beclowned herself <laughs> you know the way she no, did this sure. year and i think uh beto might be looking at that like okay well i'm popular now i've got all this money and I, you have a when you know when your super pack raises or your 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 pack raises money you have a certain amount of time to spend it and this and that and you know but and I, I don't really know all those those laws you know off the top of my head but uh you know in terms of fundraising no, and, do I. And, and, I don't think anyone does right <laughs> i don't i don't think the, half the politicians <laughs> do and that's why they're always getting in trouble but uh, no, I think he'd be nuts not to, man. I don't think he'd win. I think he'd might he might be like the VP pick or something like that. He'd win a few primaries and drop out, and then one of the old folks would pick him as like the young, you know, how do you do, fellow kids kind of guy with the skateboard VP pick. That, that guy, you know, well, like here's a, the thing. I I, the I don't of, think he'd be the, the VP pick. He'd, he'd be like the Paul Ryan to Mitt Romney in 2020. Here's the reason I don't think he'd be the VP pick is when you see most VP picks. They're usually VP picks are usually people who come from a state where they're extremely popular. And that state is something that the presidential candidate needs to win. Now, I have said before that I'm very concerned about the direction Texas is going. But I genuinely don't think that in this presidential election, it's going to go blue. No, I think that was honestly like a lot of people looked at how Beto came within like I think it was like two to three percent of Ted Cruz. And people were like, oh, my God, this is the end. This is the end. I'm like, listen, (laughs) I think. Texas is going to eventually go blue. That's my catastrophist opinion. I think it's, I it is eventually going to go blue. I disagree. The fact is, though, that wh- whether you believe it's going to go blue or not in this election, or I'm sorry, in any election, the reason it was so close between Beto and Ted was from what I heard, a lot of people, a lot of Texas voters saw Ted Cruz as a sellout. A lot of Texas voters saw because they originally he was this anti- staunch anti-Trump conservative, and then he fell in line with Trump. And I know that that a lot of Ted Cruz's very, very conservative traditional base was disillusioned with that. And it's not that they voted against Cruz. It's just that they, they, they didn't turn out to vote. No, you're absolutely uh, That's right. one of the reasons. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely yeah. right there. And I love Ted Cruz. Don't get me wrong. I think he's brilliant. I think he's one of the best senators we have. But yeah, he's a he was a very flawed candidate this November, man, because he handled everything in 2016 as poorly as he possibly could have. Uh, you know, he shows up to the the convention, gives a speech, refuses to endorse Trump, and then so Trump's base turned on him, and then he immediately realized he made a mistake, and then he did endorse Trump a few weeks later and campaigned for him. So the anti-Trump base was like, "All right, you're a sellout." 
So he just he, he alienated both sides. Like it was like he he really mishandled you know 2016 in every possible way. And you know if you look at Trump's polling numbers in Texas versus Cruz, Trump is about 10 points more popular in Texas than Ted Cruz is. So yeah, I yeah. I, I don't see it being that close in a presidential year. I, I believe also uh, John Cornyn is up for re-election in 2020 as well. So that's a that's a race to look at. See how well the I mean he'll win re-election, but. You know he's he's more popular popular than Cruz is in Texas, so that's another race to kind of gauge where Texas is at. Um, yeah, so I look, I I think there's how many Republicans ran in 2016? I think 17, which was way too many. Yeah, I I think yeah, Demo- I, I, I think there's going to be something like that in the Democratic Party this year. Oh, I, I'm I, I'm guessing they're gonna they're gonna break that record pretty easily. I, I think for sure. I think they're going to run 20. Right. That's and my, that's my guess. I think Cory Booker, like you said, I think he runs, I think Kamala Harris runs. I think either Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders, probably not both, but one of the two run. I think, uh, obviously Jay Inslee and Liz Warren are already running. Um, I think Sherrod Brown will run. I think Amy Klobuchar might run. I think, I, I do think Beto will run. I do. I think, uh, I don't know, I think one of these ousted uh, Democratic senators from a red state, like a Joe Donnelly or a Claire McCaskill, one of them might run. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. That's just off the top of my head. I don't even, I'm not looking at a list, but it's going to be a yeah. clown car. A clown car. And that is, I did yeah, see that we'll uh, see. That tweet from Brian Stelter. It just looked like a guess who board. You know, with all the, <laughs> all the faces, I was like, wow, man, Like that's a lot of Democrats that are talking about running for president. No, I, it, here's the thing. Like, I'm not. I, I want to make it clear. I'm not extremely committed to the idea that Beto's not going to run. If he does run, I won't be extremely surprised. It's just that I think my, this is my personal opinion. I think Beto's a smart guy. I understand that he knows he's popular right now. But if he runs, I don't think he gets picked as the VP. I I definitely think he loses to someone like Biden. If say Biden decides to run, I honestly even think that Beto. I think it'd be close. But I even think he'd lose to someone like Kamala Harris. I think he's gonna wait and. Because she does have – for now, I think she does have more national recognition than him. He has a lot, but I think she has more. Um, for now, I think it's he's going to see that there's going to probably be 20 Democratic candidates running. He, he's going to understand that the party vote's going to be radically split up. And I, I think he's going to understand that he probably doesn't stand as much of a chance as he would in a normal election year. So I don't know. I, I, just, I just think personally that he's going to evaluate his options and not run this time around. This time around. I think he eventually will. We'll see, though. I could be I, I very possibly could be completely wrong. I don't know. Right. And unfortunately, unfortunately, this will be the biggest story of, of 2019 is that, you know, the Democrats all announcing they're running for president and, and battling it out. It will be fun to see them uh, beat the crap out of each other. That will be entertaining. Um, you know, we had to. Sit yes, through, sit I will the... tune into those debates every night. Oh, yeah. I will have my popcorn ready, as Terrell Owens says. But um, <laughs> that, unfortunately, you know, obviously we've already been subjected to it <laughs> starting uh, on New Year's Eve with Liz Warren, which, by the way, why announce you're running for president on a day that everybody's shit-faced and nobody's going to remember it the next day? Like, that's just an odd... Like, she is just horrible at politics, man. She is really bad at this. <laughs> no, I once thought she was amazing. I once thought she was a political... Like, I, listen, I, know. I don't like her. I don't like her politics. But I once thought she was, like, a political genius. And now she's doing all this dumb-ish. And she's she's just an idiot. She's I know. An, as she, much of an idiot as Cory Booker. She was elected. She was elected to the Senate on the basis of being like the highbrow, high IQ, intellectual Harvard law professor. You know, well-read, well-spoken. 
nope, nope, no, she's not. She's bad. <laughs> she's very bad at, at politics. She's not that bright. Uh, it, it's it's really bad. I mean, just. I mean, she's Sideshow Bob just stepping on the rakes. You know what I mean? Just one rake <laughs> to the face after another. It, it's really fun to watch. You know, and sorry to put you on the spot. We really didn't talk about this beforehand or anything. But one thing I'll be watching in 2018, and I guess the audience of uh, of my show and the audience of your show as well on, on your part can, can watch this along with us, is I'll be, you know, looking at my own political evolution in 2019. Because I, I evolved a lot on a lot of issues in 2018. Uh, just, you know learning more, becoming more educated on different issues, you know, having conversations with guests on this show, yourself included, you know, disagreeing on things, agreeing on other things. And, uh, you know, I've definitely changed politically in the last year. I'm sure the audience has noticed that. And I'm sure that pisses a lot of people off, but it, who cares? Uh, so in 2018, like, uh, where, what are a couple ways that you've evolved in your, your own political ideology? Oh, in 2018, yeah, sorry to I'd put honestly... you on the spot, brother. I know that's a, I, I just thought of this off the top of my head. So sorry. Yep. To, sorry. Brady, I didn't what give the you heck? any, I Never give you no warning again. I know I give you no warning <laughs> for that. And that's a tough question, but uh, yeah, give it, give it oh. a shot. I really, no, I don't, I don't want to sound like an arrogant a-hole. I don't think I evolved much in 2018. I really don't. I think where I mostly evolved was 2016 to 2017, 2015 around like the hottest years of the Trump administration. So basically one of the examples is in high school, I was very to the left. And this is I, this is relevant because I was in high school around when the election just ended. So I was very to the left in high school. Like I, I defended, I, I want to make it clear in case like anyone who I, I know is ever listening to this is like, oh, well, that's not true. I did defend Fox News and I did defend some conservative positions in high school because my, my parents were all about it. And I didn't like when people basically called the positions my parents held evil. Uh, I was to the left, but I wasn't insane. I, I would I would like to say that I'm not insane, but I was one of those people who would say like, oh, white privilege isn't as bad as it used to be, but it's still a thing. Institutional racism is still a thing. Blah, 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 blah. So I really evolved <laughs> after the election on that. I went. I think at first I supported Trump when I just got into politics. At first I supported Trump, and then I was like, no, fuck Trump. <laughs> I went over to. And then I went over to. T- Ted Cruz, and I became a never-Trump conservative in the election. Um, after that, I moderated a lot on the never-Trump rhetoric. I'm still one of the people who I, I think I consider myself someone who calls him out when he does bad things. I think I'm consistent, but I'm not someone who's like, I will not vote for Trump in 2020. It's not going to happen. Um, I've definitely evolved on – I have always been, despite my left-leaning, I have always been until recently. I was very – how do I say this? I was very tr- traditional on drugs. I didn't think that med- like marijuana should be legalized except in medical circumstances. I didn't. I thought that you know drug laws should be very harsh. I've I've really changed on that. Uh, I've changed to the the point where I believe in a lot of criminal justice reform. I believe that weed should be legalized. I do believe that certain not I I don't know which I I don't want to say all of them. But I do believe certain drugs that are more taboo should be legalized, not because I, I agree with it, not because I think it's morally right, just because I think as long as it doesn't naturally cause you to go out and hurt someone, as long as it doesn't give you natural inclinations to cause harm and to violate the rights of another person, I think you have the right to put whatever you want in your body. Uh, and I, I don't think the government has the right to kick down your door for doing that and send you to jail. As if you're not hurting anyone else. Right. So, I, um, I totally agree. And also, I mean, you, you left out the part that in 2018, uh, 
you actually got Make America Great Again tattooed on your left ass cheek. So that was definitely a political. Oh, I evolu- did. Yeah, That's so right. You, you did evolve a little bit in 2018. You know, but <laughs> <laughs> no, but I agree. I, I totally agree on the. Actually, I'm much further in, in the libertarian camp than you on, on the drug issue. I think we should go full Portugal and decriminalize everything. Um, I, I think uh, even the conversation. When, when the conversation based on, on drugs is being framed as, uh, you know, like weed isn't that bad for you and, you know, like you're probably not going to die from cocaine or Molly or, or X or anything like that. <laughs> I, I just think that's the wrong conversation. I think the conversation is, you know, are you a slave to the state or not? You know, and and if you're not, then you should be able to kill yourself with whatever poison you want if, if, if you choose to do so, as long as you're not aggressing upon someone else to obtain those drugs or, or something like that. And I mean, I, no, I, I agree. I believe that, uh, you know, prostitution should be legal for the same reason. I think it's a sin. I think it's awful. I think it ruins people's lives, but I believe I'm not a, a slave to the state. And if I want to, I can do whatever I want with my body because I'm a free man. So like I, I'm, I'm very yeah. libertarian and that stuff. And, you know, I've, I've, you know, I've always considered myself a traditional conservative, a, a Ronald Reagan, William F. Buckley, Barry Goldwater conservative, but more and more so, I'm sure the audience has noticed this uh, over the last couple of years. Like, I mean, I have some opinions like on, on drugs and stuff like that where I'm like borderline anarchist. Like I, I, I'll align with like the anarcho-capitalist, liber- like the hardline libertarians on some issues. Give seven-year-olds hair. Heroin. <laughs> no, 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 not like that. Not like that. But like there is, I mean, you know, it, it's funny, like I've debated on this, on this podcast and, and off the podcast just with friends, like, you know, obviously the, the trite overused line, you know, taxation is theft that you hear from libertarians. And I mean, yeah, I mean, it is, I like, I don't know how you can look at that debate and not come away with like, yes, inherently taxation does violate the non-aggression principle because if you don't pay your taxes you haven't aggressed upon anybody but the government will send men with guns to your house and abduct you and lock you in a cage so like that like inherently <laughs> that is uh a violation of the non-aggression principle just by nature so like I, I i wake up some days and i'm like you know ron paul austin peterson like burn the whole damn thing down <laughs> you know and but and yeah. then I, I i reel in a little bit i'm like oh no no okay well how about yeah, I do believe we should abolish the income tax, uh, you know, replace it with like a flat tax, a flat federal sales tax, maybe 10 percent, something like that. Uh, I think that'd be a, that's a lot more moral, a lot more fair um, version of taxation, things like that. So, like, I'm, I'll be watching my own political evolution over the year, you know, because I I am kind of all over the place. Like, I am not just the, the straight conservative that I kind of thought I was. I think I, I do venture pretty far into the libertarian camp on a lot of issues where maybe a year or so ago I, I didn't as much. Well, and I, I've, I've seen that evolution. So basically the people who got me into politics um, were – it's specifically right-wing politics – were Milo before he went absolutely freaking insane. Right. I, I, to, to make it clear so no one ever ta- – if I somehow ever become bigger one day, no one takes this out of context. Basically how I found Milo was – I saw his debates with feminists on those British news channels, and I, I kind of got into his speeches before he he went crazy, just when he kind of ripped apart identity politics. And then I moved on from Milo to Shapiro, and I was like a, a staunch, I don't want to say, I was like a staunch Shapiroist. I was like with Ben Shapiro and everything, and then I evolved past that, and I'm like, eh, eh. <laughs> like Ben Shapiro's a smart guy, but I don't agree with him on everything. I sometimes, very rarely, but I'll sometimes like roll my eyes at something he says. I have my own disagreements with Ben Shapiro on politics at this point. I do, I do think I've evolved a lot in my political beliefs. 
case. The only place where I disagree with you probably is is from what you said is I do disagree. And I know this this would be for another podcast episode, the overall debate, but I do disagree that taxation is inherently theft. I think taxation overall can become theft when it starts being over cumbersomely applied. Uh, and what I mean by that is basically I believe in natural rights theory, specifically Lockean natural rights theory. And America is very clearly structured around Lockean natural rights theory. Right. And natural rights theory is, is essentially when you gather as a society, you agree to have some sort of government body that protects the rights of everyone else. That That government body is just going to be able to do that with no money and for free. You're going to have to pay something to that government so they can fund police forces, so they can fund fire departments, so they can fund just it's I'm not even someone who, you know, goes overboard on public utilities, but so they can fund basic public services. You do need that. You form into a society, you get you get out of the state of nature for a reason. And that's because the state of nature is volatile and a state with some sort of government that guarantees it will protect the natural rights of, of everyone in its population population is more stable. But in order to have that stability, you have to pay something in. So I do I, I don't agree with an income tax income tax. I do agree with you there. If we do have an income tax, I think it should be a flat tax. Um, or or like you said, a flat sales tax. I, I'm not essentially I'm not as educated to to say what my replacement would be. Uh, right. And but that's that's why I'm not sure surely I don't think taxation is theft. Well, naturally, like inherently. Uh, I don't know. I I, I had to disagree with you there, and that, that's why I'm not an anarchist. Like, if I were emperor of the United States, I would not just dissolve, like how the ANCAPs want, like I would not just dissolve the government entirely and get rid of all taxation overnight. I think the entire system would obviously collapse into chaos, um, so I'm not advocating for that. But I think a, a flat sales tax uh, would be a lot more moral, and I, I don't know if that would be you know, theft inherently, because you, you would actually have the option if you wanted you could to move out into the country somewhere, start your own farm, raise your own animals, not have to buy anything from anyone ever, and not be taxed at all. Like that would be yeah. you. You would have the freedom to do that if you want to, or you can choose to live in normal society, pay the sales. Anytime you buy something, you're taxed an extra ten percent, and that pays for the the you know the services that the government provides, the protections that the government provides. I think that's as long as. But right now, you don't have an option. You have no option. Yeah. If you don't pay the federal income tax, you go to prison. So that's not a like that does feel to me as the government ag- bringing aggression upon people that have not aggressed upon them first, which seems immoral and seems like theft to me. But uh, and it's not like many people would go off the grid and boil their own water and raise their own beef and grow their own grain and you know what I mean and like live out yeah. you know outside of society. A very small percentage of people would do that, but they would at least have the option. And it, you know, it, well, to play devil's advocate. Oh, sorry. Matt, no, sorry. no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, to play devil's advocate here, under the current income tax system, if you just decide not to make anything and move out in the wilderness and do everything yourself, Ron Swanson style, you technically don't have to pay income tax. So I, I just I think that argument could be used with with just about anything. I, I think there there also is a reason why I understand that you say a flat sales tax is more moral, but there also is a reason why you still have some form of t- taxation in place. And I think that's because inherently a lot of people realize that taxation itself isn't theft. It depends how what the taxation is paying for. It depends how much is actually being taken and in what way. So I do agree that our tax uh, our taxing system needs to be changed. I, I definitely agree with that. My only my only kind of dispute with people who say and TPUSA does this all the time too, with people who say that just taxation itself is theft. 
It's like, then why even have a society? Why even have a government? Because the government has to fund the basic services that protect your rights some way. And that, that money doesn't grow on trees. It's the, the inherent the inherent agreement is that people people pay something in for their rights to be protected. Now, obviously, government has to cut down a lot of its spending. Obviously, they, they waste a lot of our tax dollars. That's where I say taxation is theft, That where our, our taxation is at right now. But government taxing you a little bit to pay essentially for the services that protect your rights and that keep everything stable, uh, which is what Locke, again, which is what Locke envisioned, that the state of nature is, is you know, a good place, but it's also unstable, that essentially one bad apple can ruin the bunch. In order to prevent one bad at Apple from ruining the bunch, you need to pay something in so the government can keep some form of stability, which is why I inevitably say that taxation as a concept in and of itself is not theft. It's when you get to the level that we're at right now, where you're paying all sorts of taxes everywhere you go, and they pay for things that really aren't rights. They don't, they don't even go into protecting your natural rights. They're just services the government provides. Absolutely. Um, what do you think the economy does in 2019? I know we're running out of time, so we'll have to wrap it up here in, in a few minutes, but um, do you think this bubble bursts? Do you think the economy remains yes. strong? Um, you, you think it does burst? Yeah. Here's the thing. Uh, like, yeah. the, obviously, the stock market, and people need to realize the stock market is not the economy. It's not even necessarily the fairest indication of what's going to happen economically. The markets have been, the markets do not like uncertainty. Okay. So it, it, things have been very uncertain. So it's been up and down. Um, I haven't sold my stocks because I'm not a stupid little bitch. Uh, who <laughs> who just gets terrified anytime anything happens like just historically like if you just don't sell your stocks you're gonna be fine in a year and that's just that's just how life works but um so you think it's gonna burst you think we're gonna have a a, a recession for sure or, uh, yeah and why, why do you think I don't that know is? about re- I mean actually possibly a recession I so I've, I've said this on my podcast before and listen I know I'm not an economic expert but I do know enough to know this you cannot. So basically, there's a thing called uh, expansionary fiscal policy. And expansionary fiscal policy, for people who don't know, is essentially when you decrease taxes and increase government expenditures. And expansionary fiscal policy is supposed to be used, theoretically, it's supposed to be used in in times of recession or depression to try and bring the economy out of that recession or depression. And I believe both Keynesians and classical economists agree on, on that at the very least that that's kind of when it's supposed to be used. Uh, they mainly just disagree on timing and how, how accurate timing can be. Well, originally originally Keynesians agrees with that. Now, the people that call themselves Keynesians now just agree in tax increases across the board for any reason. Well, yeah, no, I, I mean actual <laughs> traditional... Right, I, hate right, to, right. I, I know this is kind of anecdotal, not anecdotal, I know it's kind of paradoxical, but I mean traditional Keynesians. Right. Um, but what we have right now is we have expansionary fiscal policy in a literal time of... of economic prosperity. Those aren't supposed to be used together. And not only do you have expansionary fiscal policy in in a time of of economic prosperity when you should be, theoretically, theoretically, when you should be collecting more in taxes to prepare for the downtimes, we have have increased spending. Spending keeps on going up and up and up and up and up and taxation keeps going down and down and down and down and down. Now, I'm not one that advocates for a vast increase in taxes. I'm not one who advocates for increasing taxes, but I do understand the economic reality that we cannot continue the spending path that we've taken while having taxes this low. Something's going to have to give. So one of the things that's going to have to give is we're either going to have to see a huge decrease in spending. We're either going to have to see an increase in taxes to make up for that spending. We're go- actually four things. We're going and now this third thing isn't going to happen. It's 
never going to happen. A politician would never win on this platform. But like if you look at what economists want, a lot of econ economists want this. You'd want to see a increase in taxation with a vast decrease in spending so you can start making a surplus to prepare for the downtimes. Or, I, I, I mean, you just, you just continue the status quo. Those are the four things that are going to happen. I think the fourth thing's going to happen. I think we're going to continue along the status quo. I don't think anything's going to change. I don't think Trump's going to certainly increase taxes, and which is a good thing, but I also don't think he's going to decrease spending, which is a bad thing. I think we're going to keep going along the path we're going until something gives, and that what's going to give is the stock market, there's going to be some sort of financial crisis, there's some, the bubble's going to pop. I think in 2019 or 2020, this is over. I think this, this economic expansion we've been seeing is over. And I think what, what hastened it, it may not have happened in 2019 otherwise, but I think what's going to hasten it is the trade wars that we're seeing. Now, I know that the, the Trump administration has announced that you know these trade wars, they're being negotiated. China's being very uh, obligatory. They're being very agreeable in their negotiations, but we don't have any proof of that yet. And China hasn't really given any proof that they've really been agreeable in the Trump administration's negotiations yet. So I like because I, I I forget the exact rhetoric, but I know after the G20 summit, Trump said like a bunch of things that China agreed to do, and even some of Trump's own advisors, not people who were leaking to the the media, like their names were out there, were saying no, this this hasn't happened yet. Yeah, the, obviously so, I, I'm with I, you on the trade wars. I don't know. I, I'm a free trader. Obviously, I think tariffs are are absolutely insane. Um, I just don't know what's going to to happen with China. I mean, it's everything is. I I can't even speculate at this point. I have no. no I, I have no idea what these restructured trade deals are going to look like. I mean, they could be great, or we could end up in a trade war and it could tank the economy. Like I or anything in between. I mean, there's a lot of shades of gray there as well. I just don't know. I mean, obviously that could be a huge mm -hmm. detriment to the economy. Um, and you're right about uh you know cutting taxes without cutting spending. Obviously the Calvin Coolidge model. Uh, is the way to go. What well, started under Warren G. Harding and then and continued under Calvin Coolidge. They spent two full years slashing spending. They cut the the federal budget by about seventy percent, which is just crazy, you know. Uh, Solid. And, and then they decreased uh, the income tax by seventy percent. I mean, they they but they did it the right way. You, you cut spending first. Uh, you know, I, it is encouraging that the Feds. Uh, the Federal Reserve is increasing uh, interest rates a little bit. That has to happen. We've had these artificially low interest rates for a long time, and that is just not sustainable at all. I um, mean, you can't have you know zero percent interest rates across the board. Uh, that are just you know, it's, it's insane. I mean, that that's insane. I know Trump has hammered the the Federal Reserve a lot. You know, um, you know, saying it's going to hurt the economy to raise rates. That doesn't make sense. I don't think Trump really knows what that means or understands that the rates have been held this low artificially for, you know, the last couple decades. But, you know, so that should help. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have it in front of me, but we're, we're paying something like three to 5% of our GDP on the interest on our debts right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, that number is only going to go up, man. And uh, we do have to, we do need to cut entitlements. We do need to cut spending before that. What happens when we're paying 10% of our GDP? or 15% or 20% just on the interest on these loan payments to China and other countries. I mean, that that's when it starts yep. to get really bad. That's when we're looking at another Great Depression or just saying, hey, screw you guys, we're going to default on our loans, which honest to God, and this is just theoretical stuff here at this point. Uh, well, thank God it's only theor theoretical at this point. But uh, do you think we just eventually in the next 5, 10, 15 years just default on these loans and say, hey, you guys, you know, sorry, we're not paying it back? Because if something doesn't, I, if something I think, doesn't change, right. yeah, 
Right. Not five to 10 to 15 years. I do think it takes longer than that. But if a little bit longer, but if, if something doesn't change, there's going to be a point where the United States defaults on its loans, obviously. I mean, the, this isn't even like a lot of people. I've, I've said that actually exactly that before. And people have called me a catastrophist and someone who's just delusional. It's like, listen, I've asked them this and they never have a response. I say, let's say we keep up with the spending track we're on right now and we, we continue on the earning track that we're on right now, even with like 40 percent. 35% income tax, even with 70% income tax, if we continue, uh, or more like with 35%, I'm sorry, even if we can, if we, even if we continue kind of on the top bracket, if we continue with the Obama era uh, level of income taxation, we're never going to be able to even get close to paying off the base debt. No. We're just going to be paying off the interest. There's no, like, you can't look at the numbers and tell me that we're, we'll be making enough with the spending that we have to pay off the base debt. So why is it so unreasonable to say that at some point in the distant future, the United States defaults on its debts if nothing changes? Because I think what, what I think is a lot of people think that since we're the United States, they just expect something to change. They expect someone to come in and fix everything. The issue is, I, I hate to bash the American populace, I love America, but the American populace, both left and right, for the most part, aside from the you know libertarians and extreme conservatives, they aren't letting anyone come in and fix anything. Anytime someone says, Here's the way you fix something. They boo them off the stage. You're it's it's right. just ridiculous. Yeah, Eric, you're absolutely right. And we do uh, that. I, I do think that is the general consensus among the American public that people are going to come along and fix it because that has happened in the past. In the past, Calvin Coolidge came along and fixed it. Ronald Reagan came along and fixed it. I do not see a Calvin Coolidge or a Ronald Reagan. I don't, I don't see it. Oh, hell no. And, and Trump has done a pretty good— Not even Reagan would no. fix this at this point, right. I don't and, think. And I, I, I don't see a Calvin Coolidge, man. Like, who is that guy? I mean, you know, maybe one of the Freedom Caucus guys in the House, Jim Jordan or whatever. Not even. He, he, has, no Not chance, even. he has no chance of getting elected president. It'd be Rand Paul, if anyone. I, I'm only using him because he's the only libertarian in politics who's actually kind of principled that I know of, aside from his father, who's—I'm sorry, Ron Paul's crazy. Yeah, he, he, uh, he crosses the line. But look, I, I agree with you that we are going to default on our debts. Um, and when I, when I debate libertarians on this, you know, they, they just think, cut everything across the board. And I, I say, yeah, we need to cut everything across the board. Except for military spending. Do, do I want to fight random wars in the Middle, Middle East? Absolutely not. I'm pretty non-interventionist. You know, I, we should not be in <laughs> Afghanistan. We should not be bombing Yemen and Somalia and Syria and all these places. But no, we need the biggest, baddest, toughest military on the planet because even with huge cuts across the board, we're still eventually going to default on these debts. And when we do, we better have the most powerful military on the planet still or else we're all dead and the country's over. So that, like, that is literally what we're looking at. Like, I, I, I call me a catastrophist if you want, but I, I don't really see another alternative unless a Calvin Coolidge type figure comes along and somehow convinces the American public that we need to cut the federal budget from four trillion to, to two trillion. Yeah, I, I just don't think there's my micro teacher. Yeah, it's my macro teacher brought something up. He's like, OK, so and he was honestly like my macro teacher. I couldn't tell what part of the political aisle he was on, which I really liked. But uh, I should say professor, my macro professor this year, he said, here's, he's like, okay, imagine this. Cause we were talking about all these theoretics and ec uh, economics and essentially what both sides agree need to classical ec economists and traditional Ke uh, Keynesians agree needs to happen to some extent would be that you need to raise taxes and you need to lower spending. Now my, my macro teacher's like, okay, imagine someone is running for president. I don't care what side 
side they're running on. He's like, just imagine someone is running for president and they say, okay, guys, my platform is I'm going to raise taxes and I'm going to lower spending. Who the F votes for that guy? No one. No one. No one. And that's honestly like I hate to raise – I really hate to, hate to raise taxes. But if, if you're going to talk about one of the ways we can get out of this without defaulting on our debts, I do think we would have to see some sort of temporary, temporary tax increase because the American people have made their bet. I think they have to lie in it. Uh, I disagree. Uh, I disagree with you there. I don't think a tax increase on anyone would really I, – I, I don't think I would ever advocate for a tax increase under any, any, any circumstance. I just don't think I'm there. Um, I, obviously we need the cuts. We need huge cuts, especially to entitlements. That's why Paul Ryan was never able to enact any of his, his policies as Speaker of the House because he was constantly preaching entitlement reform and nobody wants that. Um, but I think the only, yeah. the only chance, if there, I don't think there's a chance, but let's say there was a chance to not eventually default on these debts, it's to cut entitlements, cut the budget by a huge amount, and then just go complete deregulation across the board in all private sectors and try to grow our way out of this. Because I don't think you can, I don't, I don't know if you, if you doubled taxes, if you could tax your way out of this. I think the only way to do it oh, is, no. is impre- increase our GDP from, you know, whatever, 3.5% growth to 12% growth. Literally. I, th- I think we need like yeah. a 1960s 10, 11% GDP growth. We would just have to just deregulate all the markets you know, maybe even cut taxes even more so people have more capital to invest and just try to grow the crap out of our economy, just grow our way out. I think that's probably the only the only way out of it. But uh hey man, let's uh you know, so hey, let's hopefully we don't default on our debts in twenty nineteen. So <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I gotta let you go, but uh as always, thank you for uh, helping me end the podcast on a very low depressing <laughs> note. I always try I always try to do that for the good <laughs> folks back home. All right, Eric, where can everybody follow you online? Read your stuff. Where can everybody check out your podcast, which is a great show. I've recommended it on my show before. Where can everybody check it out and keep in touch with you and all that good stuff? Oh, Brady, you're recommending me. Thank you. Uh hey, buddy. <laughs> you can follow us on on Twitter at loco underscore pod to get updates on the podcast. I actually we, we just posted something on there recently. You can follow me on Twitter at real Eric Schaefer for my amazing memes and my amazing shit posting. <laughs> follow uh, actually at low conservative lo conservative on Twitter and on Instagram and all those places because I, I I am starting to write again for long conservative. I actually have my own column now, so I'll I'll be basically publishing something once a week pretty soon. So if you want to read stuff from me, follow lone conservative on social media and, and of course follow me everybody check out the show everybody follow eric he's great everybody check out loanconservative.com it is a great site especially if you're college age and you're in your early mid 20s uh or if you're you know a 30 year old like me it's still entertaining still good stuff um (laughs) uh, i'm brady leonard i will be back on monday no gimmicks